whatever you do, you only do because God allows it. Did he allow that? Father Gabriele Amort. On the night of June 4th, you performed an exorcism. That was not an exorcism. The majority of cases do not require an exorcism. 98% are recommended by him to doctors and psychiatrists. The other 2%, I call it evil. We have more questions for you, Father Mort. You have a problem with me. You talk to my boss. The Pope. There is a case that needs your attention. Bring me the priest. I'm here to help, Julia. Wrong priest! Take caution. There are secrets buried there. He's about to conceal. The church has fought against this demon before. The Vatican covered it up. We need to find out why. You've been played. You talk the bait. Whatever you do, you only do because God allows it. Did he allow that? Imagine what could happen if the devil possessed the soul of the Pope's exorcist. Who will defend you? My faith does not require defense. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike. Joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. How are you doing, Venom? Greetings and salutations, demon lovers. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well, Mike. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Uh, my Sacramento Kings are up 2-0 on the Warriors, which is two more playoff wins than they've had in 16 years. So uh, I'm feeling good at least now, but it is the Warriors, so that could change. Um, sports! Yeah, sports. What do you, what do you gonna do, right? They occupy almost the entire year. little downtime if you follow, like, multiple sports. <laughs> um, all right, also with us, it's Don and Ellie. What's up, Don? How are you? Yeah, what's going on? I'm always happy to be here. All right. Well, uh, if you're wondering, hey, why are you guys back so soon? Then you probably haven't listened to the last couple episodes, where, or at least the last episode where we mentioned we're releasing two this week. So get on that one where we talk about Renfield. But if you did listen, then you understand we're back because uh, with taking the week off uh, for this week with all the releases, we decided to do a couple episodes, and this is episode two of two for this week, and it is The Pope's Exorcist, starring Russell Crowe. 
So I think that's the first thing that jumped out at me is, wow, they got Russell Crowe for this. But uh, let's go ahead and grab that synopsis. All right. Follow Gabriel Amorth, or Amorth, uh, the Vatican's leading exorcist, as he investigates the possession of a child and uncovers a conspiracy the Vatican has tried to keep secret. If that synopsis found, sounds familiar, you've probably seen many movies like it, but where does this one stack up? Let's find out first with our general thoughts. Venom, what did you think of The Pope's Exorcist? Ultimately, if you've ever seen an exorcism movie, you've probably seen The Pope's Exorcist. This movie does very little original or new. Um, I'll give it credit for one little new thing that it did uh, that I'll talk about during the spoiler section. Um, but for the most part, like I said, I mean, you've got people speaking in tongues. You've got possessed children saying awful, inappropriate things. You've got eyes rolling back and people floating into the air. I mean, literally, if you've seen an exorcism movie, you've seen this one. Now, I will say that this one is above average as far as its filmmaking goes. I did think that the score was pretty decent. Um, I did, you know, for the most part, the direction and cinematography were fine. Not really much of gore to speak of, but that's kind of standard for exorcism films. They're very rarely gory. I will say the saving grace of this film, and I'm shocked that I'm actually going to say these words. <laughs> the saving grace of this film is Russell fucking Crowe. I, I am not a Russell Crowe fan, folks. I am one of the people who adamantly think he did not deserve his Oscar for Gladiator. As much as I do enjoy that film, it just didn't come off as an Oscar-winning performance to me, but whatever. What's done is done. And I've never really been a big fan of him. My God, is he entertaining in this movie. No pun intended with the my God. Uh, I, I just, he's, you know, he's equal parts serious, funny, uh, heartwarming, and at times almost adorable. This performance is legitimately great. And from what I understand about the real Father Amart, um, he was kind of like that. He was very crass. He was a drinker. He swore a lot. So uh, this, from, from those in the know, William Friedkin specifically, have said that, yeah, uh, that Russell Crowe's performance is very similar to what you might get from the man himself. Now, obviously, you know, whether you believe this story is based on a true events, you know, the movie doesn't claim that, thankfully, other than the fact that it is based on an actual, um, you know, the actual Pope's exorcist who, you know, served for what upwards of 30 years as the Vatican's uh, main exorcist. Um, but like I said, uh, a, a fairly middle of the road exorcism movie with. Uh, just a great performance by our lead actor, something that I'm absolutely shocked about. I even thought his Italian accent was decent, something I had never thought I would, uh, another phrase I never thought would come out of my mouth. I thought his Italian accent was decent. Um, I, I thought his jokes, though inappropriate at times, were almost all the time made me at least chuckle, specifically because of their inappropriateness at times, but still. Um, ultimately, this movie does suffer from kind of what a lot of exorcism movies suffer from, and that's just not knowing how to end it. Um, un unfortunately, I'm very unhappy with this ending. Um, you know, this movie, something that I was on board for, for like the first two acts, suddenly turns into a CGI-filled just nightmare on film, and not in the positive way either. I just, yeah, very unimpressed with this ending. 
Um, you know, uh, our director, Julius Avery, is someone that I am a fan of. Overlord was one of my favorite movies of 2018. I absolutely adore that film. So, you know, when I saw his name attached to this, I was mildly excited. That's why it was it. familiar. God, I don't know why I didn't. Yep. I don't know why I was such a dumbass <laughs> and didn't look him up. That's why I God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I loved Overlord. So, I mean, you know, I was I was mildly looking forward to this one. Of course, I've said it many times before, Demonic Possession is my favorite subgenre of horror. The Exorcist is my favorite film of all time, blah, blah, blah. So I tend to judge these movies a little bit harshly. And ultimately, though not bad, this movie is just everything we've seen before. Very little original about it, other than having a nice glossy package, having a name actor attached to it things like that. Even even the fact that they actually try to set up a sequel at the end, almost like they're trying to make this into a series. Um, you know, obviously, other than The Exorcist, we don't have too many actual uh, exorcism franchises out there. And I don't think that this one really will turn into one, despite them kind of setting up with that, you know, epitaph at the end of the film, kind of setting up a sequel or at least a series of films. But Overall, I was mildly entertained by the film. You know, I didn't hate the film by any stretch. It's just very middle of the road, maybe slightly on the, you know, higher quality side. But like I said, very little originality, nothing we haven't seen before. It, it is just a trope-filled extravaganza. And ultimately, the only reason, in my opinion, that this movie is watchable is because of Russell Crowe. And I, I am just almost ashamed of myself that I'm saying that. But yeah. I'll die on that hill. I, I was genuinely entertained by his performance. So, yeah, would I recommend it again? I would probably only recommend it to actual demonic possession fans. If you're just a general horror fan who has, a, you know, a fleeting interest in demonic possession, then I don't think this movie is going to really do much for you unless you also happen to be a Russell Crowe fan. But if you are a demonic possession fan, as I am, you know, at the very least, this is still better than the devil conspiracy, which we got. Uh, not too long ago, and then that other uh, theatrical release uh, with the devil in the title, Pray for the Devil. Um, at the very least, this movie is better than both of those, so at least it has something going for it. So, yeah, that's my general thoughts. All right, uh, let's see what Don has to say about The Pope's Exorcist. Um, well, I don't really have much uh, new to add beyond uh, what Venom said. Um, I, I'm kind of right there with him. It, there's kind of no, little wiggle room left in the uh, genre for exorcism films to kind of, uh, you know, go through these days. It's kind of like home invasion fair. You don't really have uh, too much wiggle room in terms of, uh, you know, bringing anything new to the table. But Overall, it kind of delivers exactly what I want. I mean, you know, you you get all the tropes, you get, you know, head spitting, vom vomiting up strange liquids, you know, taunts that sound like lyrics to a Gorgoroth song. Um, <laughs> you, you know, the you know, you, you hit all the standbys, you know, you're sitting there playing mental checklists. It's like, okay, they're doing this. Okay, they're doing that. Okay, where's the, ah, there it is. Okay, I knew that they were about to do that. Okay, there we go. And you're kind of playing that in your head most of the time rather than uh, trying to, you know, get anything new out of the film. But I don't mind that. Uh, I, I mean, a lot of this is, you know, so paint by numbers, but I, I completely agree. I, I think um, Russell Crowe here, uh, was it, um, I always keep wanting to say the band name. It's Amorth, right? Yes. Okay, yeah, I always keep wanting to say the band name, and I, it just always throws me <laughs> 
you know, metalhead tendencies, but yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, Amorth is, uh, you know, just a fantastic uh, guy to follow in here. Um, I mean, you know, you always get the cranky, ratchety old, you know, exorcist, you know, that doesn't really have too much humanity left in him. And, you know, you know, he's come up against it so many times that he's just, you know, this... I, I don't want to say that he's kind of a cynic, but he's kind of like a, you know, day to day kind of a person, you know, when he's not trying to, you know, say I cast thee out or the power of God compels you. He's not really too interesting to follow, but, you know, here it is. And I, I think that kind of adds like a a, a higher level of gloss to the film uh, beyond just, you know, all of the technical merits that, you know, you see throwing at this one, because I mean, you can only do so much when you see like, you know, indie films that pop up on Netflix or Tubi or, you know, prime that have, you know, exorcism of so-and-so in the title. Um, I mean, I'm sure you, we've all seen our fair share of those and, you know, putting like a, a multi-million dollar gloss over everything is kind of a, you know, fresh spin on it that I haven't seen probably since um, the one with Anthony um, Hopkins. What was it? Um, The right or ritual or, Oh, right. right. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, that was kind of like the last big mainstream glossy exorcist film that we got. And I don't know, maybe that kind of added a, a fun little, um, you know, glee to it. Um, like I said, you know, maybe it was Russell Crowe, but outside of the fact that this is uh, so paint by numbers that, you know, you can play bingo with this and probably, you know, win 10 minutes into it. It's a fun, it's a, it's a funner time than you you, you think it is, and I I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I came away really uh, liking the film more than I thought I would. I mean, I was kind of like you, where it's you know, oh god, another one of these. How many of you know what news is it going to bring to the table? But uh, you know, if you're willing to go along with that, if you're not bothered by playing, you know. Play, by playing bingo with the film or seeing all the uh, usual tropes in play, it, you know, it's a far better time than you think it is. So if you don't mind that stuff, then, uh, you know, give it a shot. But yeah, I, I, I don't have much else to add to it really. All right. Uh, yeah. For me, I'm probably right there with you guys. I mean, it kind of delivers what you would expect from, most modern day exorcism movies i will say i agree with venom completely that russell crowe's probably like the highlight of the movie you know between this and um unhinged from i think it was 2020 not last year um maybe he's carving out like he's doing like the nick cage thing now and like he's just taking like genre stuff when he can in between like the you know the bigger roles but if he's gonna do that i'm all for it because i thought he was kind of fun in this as the priest i think that's really what carried me through the movie that it, it kind of helped soften the blow of like getting what we would expect from all like the usual tropes um you know I, this one it, it has all the trappings of like your modern day exorcism movie um where you know once we get to like whoever's possessed it's always going to feel the need to oh well, how can we do it bigger and better the problem is that usually involves like a lot of cgi stuff and just it, it starts getting like so unbelievable but at the same time it's like kind of fun at you know uh it's it's entertaining it, it's i i don't necessarily think it's going to be a very memorable movie but you know for the time i spent with it i came away okay you know thinking it was okay uh i do agree the ending was eh, a little underwhelming but 
overall, I, I was just having fun with uh, Russell Crowe doing Russell Crowe things. I actually kind of agree with Venom. I think Russell Crowe, for me, just overall, his body work is kind of hit or miss. I think he's very good in like certain specific roles that kind of cater to his the, uh, his specific uh, demeanor on, on screen. Like, uh, there's certain roles that I think he knocks out of the park. Other ones, kind of not so much. But um, what else can I say? Uh, well, I mean, yeah. since I never really chimed in, I mean, real quickly for me, uh, he was never really a guy that I really liked, but he was always a guy that the roles that he picked, I always liked him in, even if I never really liked like the films he was in. Like, for some reason, he was always somebody that I never really bought. I never really minded watching him, but he, he was never really a guy that I went out of my way to watch. If he showed up, I I liked him, but he was never like a go to actor that I always really enjoyed following. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I can agree with that. Um, what else was I gonna say about this? Um, I I do like uh him. I, I like the other priest too. Uh, in this movie, um, was Father what was it? Uh, Escobel. 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 Yep. Um, yep. I like uh we got. I didn't even realize um, Alex. Well, how, what's her name? Eso. Eso. The Starry Eyes girl. I didn't even realize she was in it until I actually saw the movie. Um, So that was cool seeing her. I always like seeing her get more work, especially theatrical stuff. I did think the kid that played Henry, the possessed kid, was fine, like, for for that kind of role. It's just, you know, once we get further in the movie, it's just, oh, man, CGI. It gets heavy-handed, yeah. yeah. Um, It's like, for, for these type of movies, just give them some good makeup that's all they need we don't need like all the enhanced computer effects on them to just take you completely out or at least me and for if for some people it doesn't bother them at all and that's that's good i mean you know i guess that's just a personal preference thing um i i yeah i i, I don't know it's just i it's a lot of familiar to, ter- to territory territory with uh <laughs> These kind of movies. Um, and I can't totally fault it because I could say the same thing for other genres that maybe I excuse it for. But I don't know. With Exorcist movies, it just feels like there there's so many of them. They come out at such a high pace. Like, I, I got to say, well, we get two or three every year and it kind of feels like the same thing. Um, and it's almost the same thing like with Jaws where it's like the OG sets such a high standard that it's just impossible to, you know, reach that height again. I guess for me... Are you talking shit about Five-Headed Shark Attack again? God damn you. Yeah. Um, But I would still say, like, go... If you're a fan of this subgenre, I I think it is worth seeing. Um, I just think for people that are kind of neutral on it or we're, like, holding out hope that, oh, maybe this will bring something new to the table that I haven't seen before, probably not. Um... Probably not going to do it, but it also, if you're a Russell Crowe fan, yeah, that could be reason enough to go see this. So I would still say it's worth watching. I just wouldn't expect, don't expect much that you weren't probably thinking was going to be in the movie going into it because it pretty much checks everything off the list, um, but doesn't do much more than that. So yeah, I'd say above average uh, movie entertaining probably is not one that's going to stick with people for very long. 
No, no. I mean, like I mentioned stuff like Pray for the Devil and Devil's Conspiracy, you know, from earlier this year. I already forgot Pray for the Devil. I couldn't give you the synopsis of that movie if you paid me. Devil's Conspiracy I saw like a month and a half ago, so I I vaguely still remember it. But yeah, when when these exorcism movies come out and they're just middle of the road, like nothing special, not necessarily terrible, because even terrible movies are memorable. Like I'll, I'll, I'll almost always remember the worst movies I watch every year. But it's those middle-of-the-road movies that didn't really leave that big an impression that tend to just kind of leave your memory quicker than others. Ultimately, Russell Crowe is going to keep this one in my memory a little bit longer. But I guarantee by the end of the year, I will have forgotten that this movie even came out this year. It'll just be so distant in my memory and forgettable, you know, so... But it's still, like I said, like Mike said and like I said earlier as well, I, I still think it's worth watching because... Even though we're talking about this like, you know, some trope-filled nightmare, it's still watchable. It's still very watchable. It, it's very well made. There's some decent performances. I'm going to disagree with Mike a little bit. I did not like the per- performance of Father Escabel. I don't know. I just thought it was kind of um, forced upon us, almost like a forced romance in some of these movies. Um, he did fine. I'm not going to say that he did a poor performance. It just didn't, you know... I guess anybody in that role would look secondary next to Russell Crowe's performance. I think maybe that's, uh, you know, the the detriment here is that no matter how good his performance is, it's not going to look that good next to Russell. Um, Though I didn't think it was a terrible performance, I just thought it was kind of, you know, not very memorable. I mean, he even reminded me of an exact character from Pray for the Devil, like literally accent and everything. So this is what I I I mean. I did did like the short appearance by what his... What was that? His ex girlfriend or wife during the uh, exorcism? Oh, lover. That was, I was like, piece. whoa, like that. <laughs> she is beautiful. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, could no, she, she show back up again? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I wasn't expecting it because in blood. I'm yeah, okay I, I, I wasn't really expecting it just because there was nothing like there was nothing like overly well i don't know it's not that there wasn't like blood and stuff in this but i i felt like it was so cgi heavy during the like the exorcism scenes that like mm-hmm. i i wasn't expecting like actual nudity um because it's, <laughs> you know and then when it happens i was like oh like i thought we were going to get like the from like the upper chest up shot where they like purposely right. cut out the rest of the body and i was like oh okay yeah, we actually end up seeing her multiple times naked, once alive and once mm-hmm. <laughs> as something else. You know? so, uh, yeah, yeah, like I said, this movie is definitely not unwatchable by, by any stretch. You should definitely give it a shot. Maybe it works for you more than it works for me. I think it'll definitely resonate with younger audiences, maybe um, horror fans that aren't sick of the tropes the way we are by now. Maybe they might watch something like this and think, oh, this is you know really cool and different. And and that's fine. I mean, you know, if an 18-year-old watches this and loves it, rock on. I'm down. Let's get more movies like this in the theaters because uh, sometimes we need those, those mass appeal horror movies in the theaters. You know, it's nice to get those kind of, uh, you know, very focused, kitschy kind of horror movies, stuff like Skinamarink. You know, as much as I hated that movie, I'm still going to use it as an example of like, you know, one of those very weird horror movies that you get in theaters. Um, but this one, like I said, it's, it looks like it had a big budget. I believe it had like an $18 million budget. If I remember reading correctly somewhere in that. Yeah, it was close uh, to 20. Um, yeah, close to 20. 
It was close to 20. I don't remember the exact number. Um, yeah. So, I mean, this thing isn't exactly low budget. You know, it's a big budget uh, exorcism film. So you've got the effects. You've got the stars. Blah, blah, blah. You've got some good performances. I do agree with uh, Mike. It's nice to see Alex Esso in, in an, another film. I myself am not a big fan of Starry Eyes. I have my issues with that movie. That's a story for another podcast. But I do like Alex. I do like to see her. She was also in Midnight Mass a couple of years ago for Netflix, and I loved seeing her in that. So, yeah, she's always a welcome um, addition to a film. And she actually does a great job. I think she does an amazing job, actually, as Henry's mother in this film, you know, um, because she's, you know, she's not really of that age yet where you would think she would be like the mom of a 10 year old and a 16 year old, you know, but she plays it really well. Obviously she's got some acting chops. Um, you know, she plays despair and fear really well, happiness, whatever else the case may be. So, um, uh, you know, like I said, I agree with Mike. It's always great to see her. Um, like I said, you can't really say a whole lot bad about this movie. It's just a lot of middle-of-the-road stuff, a lot of tropey middle-of-the-road stuff that we've seen before. But I still wouldn't disparage anyone from going to see it. I still say go see it. It's not exactly vital watching for the cinema. I don't, I don't know that you really need to go to the theater to see it necessarily, but, you know, invest a few bucks and check this out if you are an exorcism fan, which, of course, I am, so... Yeah, on a, on a two on a two release week where we also have a theatrical release coming yeah. out this week, and you can't fit this and Renfield in. I'd probably lean towards Renfield um, for the theater. But if you're really yeah. into this subgenre, I don't think you're not gonna have a fun time with it. Yeah, I don't think it's utterly disappointing by any stretch. Obviously, we're all glorified movie critics here, so we kind of have to look at this from a certain lens. <laughs> But I think ultimately, if you're, you know, if you're a fan, I think you're going to get some enjoyment out of this. I, I mean, I did. I got, I got a lot of enjoyment out of it. It may not have been from the exorcism scenes or the actual horror of the film. It may have been more just the performances, but at least there is something there to gravitate to. So I'm happy for that, at least. And we had three releases this weekend, Mike. Don't forget. <laughs> three horror releases. Which, by the way, after, oh, yeah. we're, oh, yeah. after the... we're all done talking about The Pope's Exorcist, I'm going to give my short review of the far superior demonic possession movie that came out this weekend, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. I, I know the movie you're talking about. Um, and I was, there was a chance I was going to see it, but I think, um, because that one, from what I remember, it's like a smaller, like indie level release. I think it had like less, uh, showings here. So I just couldn't, like by the time I could would have actually had time to get to the or see it, I think it wasn't even playing anymore. But I did get some. I just it sucks I didn't get a chance because I did think it was interesting when I saw the trailer. Yep. So yeah, I'll, I'll give you a quickie two minute review of that later. Cool. Cool. Uh, I don't know what else can we talk about that's kind of spoiler free here. I mean, we've, we've Django. Discussed... Django. <laughs> that's right. Holy the fucking Pope Django. How the hell can we forget about that? <laughs> yes, Franco Nero plays the Pope. It was, and as soon as he's on screen, it's like that's oh, the yeah. most badass Pope I've ever seen. Like instantly, yeah, that's, I'd rather see. Pope. I'd rather see him actually go mano a mano with the with the with the guy in here. I right. mean, that would have been like the that would have been the side character. That would that should have been like the helper or something. 
Oh, that would have been awesome if the Pope actually, I mean, granted, you know, he probably would have had to have played a different character, but still, to see that, to see Franco in there was pretty awesome, and a pretty good performance, too, even though he's not in there a lot. Obviously, he plays the Pope, but he plays a very more, you know, kind of down-to-earth, subdued Pope, especially when he's in private with, um, you know, Gabriel Amart. You know, he's very kind of fun-loving, they enjoy a good joke, blah, 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 blah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was a great performance. I completely forgot about Pope Django. Thank you, Don. <laughs> oh, of course. I'm not going to forget that. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, man. <laughs> um, but, I mean, yeah, other than that, uh, I'm kind of drawing a blank. All right. Well, I guess that will be your spoiler warning, folks. We'll go into our not very long synopsis, because ultimately it's an exorcism movie. And as we've all already said, if you've seen an exorcism movie... You kind of know where this movie is going. It doesn't really take too many left turns here and there. So uh, basically our movie opens up with um, we're, we're in a village, you know, some kind of very poor village. We see a holy man of some kind pull up on his fucking Vespa, his moped, which, by the way, I love that this guy rides a moped. I don't know why it tickled me to see him throughout the majority of the movie riding a moped, but I don't know. I, I For whatever reason, it just fit. You know, like no car would fit as much as a moped would fit this character. So, yeah, uh, we see Father Amartha kind of show up at a, you know, a, a poor village. He enters someone's abode. Uh, they can see that there is a male, you know, maybe in early to mid 20s on a bed. And he's, you know, pretty much doing the standard tropey stuff, speaking in English, which is a language that he does not understand. Uh, this whole opening scene is. I think uh, is in Italian, I believe, or it's in a foreign language of some kind. I think it's Italian. I'm not ultra familiar with Italian, but yeah, Italian uh, or Latin. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I, I was trying to judge <laughs> it against the the black metal bands I listen to, and it's kind of, <laughs> yeah, I hear you. It, it sounds vaguely familiar to some of that stuff, but I mean, it's it's either Italian or Latin. I'm not sure. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, father, you know, ha has a quick exchange with the family. Then he goes to see, you know, the person who is supposedly possessed. He ends up pulling out an amulet. And this is one of the only original things that this movie did that I kind of liked. He pulls out this amulet. It's just an old stone amulet. With, it's got some Latin writing on it that's never explained. I'm sure you can look up the translation online. But um, he basically holds it in front of the, the, of the possessed. And he just, like, rocks it back and forth in front of their eyes to watch the possessed, you know, kind of follow the amulet. And then basically after a few seconds of doing that, he puts the amulet back in his pocket, and then he goes into this quote-unquote exorcism. And what he basically does is he... You know, he goes through the, the rites of exorcism, maybe not the real ones, the real official ones, but he does go through some sort of rites of exorcism. He ends up uh, basically commanding the spirit to leave the body, but not, but not in a way where he's just literally demanding. He's actually challenging the demon. He tells the demon, oh, you can possess anybody, huh? Well, uh, let me see you possess this pig. And they actually brought like a whole, you know, farm hog with them, a big old pig. And he keeps challenging the demon. Go ahead, possess this pig, possess this pig. I think we can all see where this is going at this point. 
Finally, the demon gets frustrated and it looks not visually. There's no visual, um, you know, indicator of any kind, but it basically looks like the spirit leaves this guy and then he suddenly relaxes and then the pig starts going crazy, the hog. I mean, this thing's gigantic. It's not a pig. It's solidly a hog. Um, and as soon as the pig just starts going crazy, uh, the the exorcist assistant shoots the pig in the head with a shotgun. And, you know, obviously, and then instantly the quote unquote possessed feels better. You know, he's speaking in his native language again. Everything seems back to normal. Bing, bang, boom. That's the end of our cold open. We are then transported back to Rome, where now our... Um, our exorcist friend, um, Father Amarth, is basically in trouble with the church tribunal. He's, he's, it's almost like a trial where there's like four or five of them sitting at a table, and they're basically questioning him on his practice, saying, you know, what the hell is wrong with you, blah, blah, blah. And then that's when uh, Father Amarth reveals that the person wasn't possessed. This particular person, as it turned out, was not possessed. Um, they had been sneaking um, like American television, like when their family wasn't uh, paying attention, they were watching American television. So they picked up the American language a little bit and that basically it was just a show. And he was basically saying that sometimes these people, they're not actually possessed. They just have mental health issues. So if you just go through the process of, quote unquote, expelling the demon having it go into another vessel and then destroying that vessel, that in the mind of the possessed, they're back to normal and everything is fine. Now, he doesn't exactly explain why he knew the guy was lying, but it does seem to be true because everything that, he's, that he states during this trial did actually occur at the exorcism, the quote-unquote exorcism. So after, you know, and throughout this time, Father Amarth is, you know, he's cracking jokes, he's being incredibly sarcastic, which of course the tribunal wants no part of. You know, they're pissed off that he's not taking this seriously. But then finally he gets pissed off and says, hey, listen, I answer to one person. My boss, my bosses are God and the Pope, and they are the only people that I will ever answer to. And he literally just walks out of the tribunal with, uh, you know, the officials at the table, one of them in particular, just yelling at him. We're not done here. Get back here. Blah, blah, blah. So, of course, instantly, you know, we already like Father Ahmad for not being a, a slave to the system by any stretch blah 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 now um we find out then we're introduced to our family and that's um like i said uh alex esso as the mom julia uh peter fanohi or fahone excuse me fahoni as henry and uh laurel mardson as amy so we have a mom and a brother and sister uh dad unfortunately passed away six months ago henry was in the car accident that killed his father, and he actually witnessed his father get impaled through the head by an iron rod. Um, whatever it was that they ran into had some loose iron rods, and literally, you know, very much like um, the beginning of what? The Descent, I think, was the one. Um, but actually, I mean, we get to see, like, the iron rod sticking out of the guy's head and, you know, the poor kid sitting in the back seat just kind of staring. The point is, is that based on that trauma, Henry hasn't spoken since then. He has not uttered a word for six months. He's just basically been living as a mute. 
And <clears throat> what ends up happening is um, Julia ends up, well, maybe not Julia, but they end up inheriting a mansion, like an old Victorian mansion uh, in Spain, I believe. Yes, it's in Spain. And they're fixing it up. They've got like a crew in there fixing everything up. And one day there's an accident. Um, there's like a, uh, somebody drops like a, either their lighter or like a lit, lit piece of paper into an opening that they just cracked open in the house. Like they cracked open a wall. And as soon as they put the flame up to the hole to kind of see what's on the other side, a giant, like, it's almost like a methane gas explosion occurs uh, no one is killed. It doesn't really seem like anybody's even majorly injured either. But at that point, the crew is like, nope, that's it. We're not working on this house. There's obviously a methane leak in here. That is beyond our capabilities. We're gone. And they literally left high and dry. They left their equipment, everything. And they just took off, leaving this family by themselves in this potentially dangerous house that's you know, possibly leaking methane somewhere. Uh, what ends up happening is, of course, um, that crack in the wall ends up releasing something that was trapped underneath that house. We'll get into the history of the house here in a little bit. Um, but basically, uh, yeah, uh, something is released. And <clears throat> for whatever reason, it decides to inhabit Henry, you know, rather than the teenage girl. Teenage girl is probably a little too angsty to be, uh, you know, taken by a demon. Because usually, you know, they do talk about that same trope, once again, tropes in this movie, about how the weak-minded are easier, are easier to possess, blah, blah, blah. So obviously they went after the little kid who suffered that trauma, hasn't been speaking. Obviously he's susceptible to possession, so that's where the demon decides to go. And then from there, it's just kind of like a trope-filled fest of the kid you know, suddenly his veins are popping out and his eyes are a different color and they're bloodshot and he's speaking in a voice that no one, you know, not not a language, but a voice that no one recognizes. Obviously, your standard doubled up demonic voice, blah, blah, blah. And <clears throat> basically, the family uh, reaches out to the church for help. The Pope gets wind of this. The Pope himself gets wind of this story and assigns a Marth. <clears throat> to the possessed boy, uh, as you already know, named Henry, living in Spain. Um, so Father Amarth goes out to the house, meets everybody. I might be skipping some scenes here and there. I apologize for that, but that's kind of standard issue for our show. Um, I just want to go over the important scenes. So <clears throat> Father Amarth visits the family, and he has his first conversation with the boy, which, again, the boy is speaking in Latin in a voice that no one recognizes. And once again, Father Amart pulls out that amulet that we saw earlier. But this time we actually get to see how the amulet works. And what he does is he's holding the amulet in front of Henry's face and he's like just kind of rocking it back and forth, like panning it back and forth slowly. And then what ends up happening is on one of the pans, when the amulet is moving, we see a second set of pupils pop out on the side of Henry's real pupils, and they're demonic looking. They're red. You know, it's the traditional demon looking eyes, red, kind of cat eye slits, slit pupils, whatever the case may be. 
And so, you know, that was the one thing about this movie that was kind of original. And I thought, hey, that's kind of cool. You know, the fact that he has this tool where he can pick out the crazies from the actual possessed people. And we actually get to see how it works. It's not just explained to us. We get to see it in action. So I thought that was pretty cool. Of course, at that point, you know, Amarth is like, yep, Henry is possessed and we need to, you know, um, you know, perform the exorcism. This is after, of course, Henry had already met with the first father, Father Escabel, and basically demands to him that he get the priest. And when Father Escabel first comes to visit, uh, the demon pretty much just launches him across the room. And he says, I didn't say a priest. I said the priest. And I'm sure that's probably in the trailer. So you probably saw that. Um, so, yeah. So obviously <laughs> yeah, he has a vendetta. Yeah, we got a demon with a vendetta, which seems it seems petty for a demon, but whatever. I, I guess it would make sense that demons are petty, so okay. And and we have no idea what demon we're dealing with at this point, too. This could be some lower-level thing. This could be Satan himself. We're not 100% sure. So, <clears throat> yeah, and they even do the trope later, like, well, now we know the demon's name, so we can actually fight them. As exactly. if, as, that always cracks me up because it's like, in most movies that use that trope, once we actually get to the exorcism scene, it's not like they do anything different because they know the name of the demon. <laughs> exactly. Know? I think I think The Conjuring 2 was probably the only one that, like, did anything with that knowledge of knowing the demon's name. Like, once um, What's-Her-Face figured out that Valak was the name of the demon, she was able to, you know, hold dominion over her or whatever the Catholics say. So. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like they, <laughs> they all seem to hate crosses and holy water and the word of God. So uh, I, I think you're safe sticking with those methods. There you go. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so um, at this point... Um, uh, our duo, our duo of priests, Father Escabel and Father um, Amort, excuse me, oh, I almost did what Don did, <laughs> Father Amort, uh, basically start the exorcism, they go through, you know, your standard exorcism, fair, holy water, prayer, uh, incantation, not incantations, but, you know, magic words, if you will, <laughs> let's say the, the religious version of magic words. And uh, unfortunately, they are unsuccessful in exorcising the demon, but Another cool thing about this demon, and this isn't ultra original, we've seen this in other exorcism films, is that this demon can, can actually possess multiple people. He can actually leave Henry's body if he wishes to, and at one point he actually does possess uh, the sister, the teenage sister, and you know for you know, and then we go through the same shit where she kind of attacks her mother, is in, is speaking in tongues, blah blah blah. At that point, mom realizes that oh shit, it's not Justin Henry, or it can bounce around, whatever the case may be. Now at this point, after the first failed exorcism attempt, we find out that the Pope has become ill. Uh, he's reading. He's basically he told um, Father he told Gabrielle that while he's out. Um, in Spain doing the exorcism that he's going to continue his research on the mansion because something about it seems off. You know, he, he, he even says that I wouldn't usually just send you uh, to one of these when I first hear about it. I usually want to do some research, but something about this feels off. And while the Pope is doing his research and he's reading documents in the Vatican library, uh, he falls ill, he becomes hospitalized and, Basically, at that exact moment, Father Mart finds a well on the property of this house, 
uh, uncovers the well. It, it looks like it's sealed off, uh, that it was sealed off by the church because it's got the Vatican seal on the lid, which why the fuck he decides to open that is beyond me, but he decides to open it because he's Russell Crowe. There you go. Uh, he ends up opening uh, the well and he learns that the founder of the Spanish Inquisition, uh, who was an exorcist, was possessed by this same demon. Like, we still don't know who this demon is, but we find out that at one point during the Spanish Inquisition, this demon possessed an exorcist. And the reason he did that is that a demon possessing an exorcist, one of the holiest men of the church, it's like the first step in like a snowball effect where, you know, eventually the darkness will reign and, you know, demons will take over the earth, blah, blah, blah. Um, that plan was, of course, thwarted back in, you know, <laughs> hundreds of years ago, whenever it was that it first happened. And... Like I said, Amarth finds out that the church covered this up, and he eventually discovers the name of the demon. And for somebody like me, I don't consider myself a demonologist by any stretch of the imagination. I'm more a Lovecraftian guy when it, as opposed to, like, Christian demons and, you know, theology and things like that. But when they say the name of this demon and you know even a little bit about demons, uh, yeah, your eyebrows kind of raise instantly. And the name of our demon, of course, is Asmodeus. And for those who don't know, Asmodeus in the Judeo-Islamic lore, he is the king of both the daemons and the demons. Now, if you don't know the difference between daemons and demons, look it up because I'm not going to explain it here. That's way too long an explanation for this show. Um, but he is the king of the demons. He is literally the prince of hell. He is number two in Satan's army. So, yeah, this is a pretty big fucking deal that this is the demon that's possessing Henry. And why is this particular demon possessing Henry? Because he was trapped underneath this house. That's what that Vatican seal was protecting on top of the well. Asmodeus was trapped under there, and of course, these dumb construction workers come by, break this wall open, and release them, blah, blah, blah. Um, at that point, um, Amarth and Escabel participate in the sacrament of confession and absolution, where both of the priests have to confess all of their sins before going into an exorcism. They have to be pure. And this is when uh, Father Amart finds out that, uh, excuse me, Father Amort <laughs> finds out that Father Escabel has not been to communion for eight fucking months. Uh, that may not sound like a lot to normal people, but to an actual Catholic priest, that's an eternity to go without confessing their sins. And why, you may ask, has he gone this long without confessing his sins? Because our, our, uh, Father Escabel has been fucking a girl in the town. Yes, he's been fucking a town's uh, girl. Beautiful girl. Just, I mean, as Mike mentioned earlier, she's absolutely stunning, a, a Spanish, beautiful woman. Uh, woman. But because uh, basically that he, uh, they fell in love with each other, but because of his commitment to God and the church, he had to break it off. And that girl ends, ended up going and killing herself. So this priest not only 
you know, had lustful actions, he also caused a suicide of one of, you know, God's children. And of course, we all know that when a Christian commits suicide, they automatically go to hell. They don't go to heaven. So it's kind of a big deal. So, of course, Father Escabel has been living with this guilt all this time. Um we also get some flashback scenes here of Father Amart um, during World War II. He's a, he's a young man. He's part of an Italian partisan uh, at World War II. Um, he's dealing with a mentally ill woman who's asking him for help. Um, unfortunately, Father Amarth, uh, I, I forget exactly what happened. Oh, uh, Father Amarth basically um, has that preliminary meeting with this girl. And he deems her mentally unhealthy, not possessed. She has a mental health issue. She is not possessed. Unfortunately, that girl's mental health issues kind of snowball to the point that she does eventually commit suicide by jumping off a building. And Father O'Mort is right there to see it. He literally, he's a few feet from where her body lands when she jumps off a church steeple. Of all places, she jumps off a church steeple to commit her, uh, to commit her suicide. So... That's why Father Escabel hasn't been to um, communion, and basically Father Amort has to absolve him of his sins. Basically says, okay, I absolve you of your sins, you are once again pure, you are, you know, the highest member in the eyes of God, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then, you know, Father Amort does the same thing, he does his confession with Father Escabel, um, this is when we find out, you know, uh, a Mort story that, oh, you know, what he is feeling guilty about, what he'll never forgive himself for is that girl that killed himself under his care, blah, 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 blah. Um, let's see. And, oh, by the way, um, apparently, do they, they go into, do they ever go into how this demon has a past with a Mort? I don't remember. Uh, yeah, I don't remember specifically how uh, these two are connected, but somehow Asmodeus knows. I, I think specifically it's because he just knows who the Pope's exorcist is. Yeah, that makes total sense now that I think about it, because he's trying to get this plan rolling again uh, of possessing the Vatican's main exorcist and, you know, starting the, the whole the, the snowball effect of the demons taking over, blah, blah, blah. Um, so let's see, where are we? Um, uh, they, they once again go ahead and perform a second exorcism. During the exorcism, both Amorth and um, Escabel have uh, just terrible images, visions of a woman that they both failed. And that's why, you know, we find out those stories about them. Uh, both of these women are causing these two guilt to the point where they, neither one of them can forgive themselves. Even though God and the church have forgiven them of their sins and absolved them, they can't, you know, they, they live with that guilt. They can't, um, unfortunately, uh, you know, they, they can't perform this exorcism until they come to terms with what they did. Eventually, both of them do come to terms with the, what they did through flashbacks and hallucinations that I'm not going to get into. But um, yeah, eventually they both are absolved and they're able to go back into the exorcism. Um, let's see, During, like I said, they have those terrible images of the women that they've wronged in the past during the exorcism. The exorcism eventually does end up succeeding only when Father Amort does offer himself up to possession. Basically, he says, you know what? I'm done fighting. 
Um, you're obviously going to get what you want anyway, so I give myself up. You can go ahead and possess me. Uh, basically, after uh, Asmodeus enters Amort, he tries to hang himself, but the demon doesn't allow it. Um, instead, he prefers that Amort infiltrate and destroy the church. He actually says that, oh, no, 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 you're not going to kill yourself. I'm sending you back to the Vatican, and you and I are going to destroy um, you know, the, the Catholic Church, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, eventually Father Escabel helps Father Amarth drive away the demon, um, the, and then both demon, the, the, basically all of the different entities that are troubling everybody as, uh, Asmodeus. I mean, we don't actually get to see Asmodeus. I think we get to see like a, almost like a shadowy figure in the background, but that's like the most I think we ever get to see. Though there's some gnarly pictures of Asmodeus online, if you want to go check it out. There's some awesome pictures of him out there. Um, like I said, um, let's see. And basically, they are able to absolve the demon. I don't remember specifically what they did, but you know, through their rites of exorcism, they are eventually able to get Asmodeus out of uh, the priest. They are able to send him back to hell, quote unquote, and, you know, close up the passage again. At this point, uh, the triumphant duo, after completing their exorcism, they end up going back to Rome. Um, and uh, let's see, they find that... Um, Oh, oh, a Martha and Escabel. Yeah, that's right. When they get back there, they find out that the guy from the church tribunal earlier who was trying desperately to get a Martha kicked out and replaced or not even replaced, but just to they wanted to end the pope's exorcist as a position. Uh, basically, this guy was a much more modern priest who basically didn't believe that demons even fucking existed, which is amazing to me. I mean, he literally has all the proof he needs in the Vatican Library, but he he's a modern priest who doesn't believe in this shit. <clears throat> but when Amarth and Escabel come back uh, to the Vatican after the exorcism, they find out that that man has been replaced by another person that they actually like, and that they will now be um, going around the world. It, it's almost set up that way. Like they're going to be now the exorcism duo, Escabel and Amor while working, you know, still working for the Pope, but answering directly to this guy who's, you know, been a friend of theirs for years. And um, they are taken to a secret library inside of the Vatican that just has countless records of just, you know, demonic activity and plans and just writings that are thousands of years old. And that's where we actually get to... Uh, uh, basically the end of the film where it's it seems like they're trying to set up a sequel or a series of some kind. I mean, I could see this turning into like a TV series, like maybe a limited series of like eight to 10 episodes. I don't know how receptive Russell Crowe is to doing television, but I think that would work. I don't know that I necessarily need to see another feature film with these guys. I, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that they'd really be able to do anything too original at this point. Um, but the two guys as characters are interesting, so I would still be down to kind of watch their adventures on a week-to-week -week basis. And then there is an after-credits, um, it's not really an after-credits scene so much as it's just a photo of the real Father Gabriel Amort, Amort and he's basically just sticking out his tongue um, towards the camera, almost like the very famous Albert Einstein image that we all know of him sticking his tongue out to the camera, and that's the Pope's Exorcist, folks.
I didn't give it nearly as much justice as it probably deserved during my walkthrough. I definitely kind of whipped through it just to get kind of get through it and just talk about the few parts that are worth talking about. But ultimately, despite me whipping through it, I, I still think it's a watchable film. Very watchable, somewhat. It's mildly fun. Let's just go with that. It's mildly fun. Um, but as we've all said at this point, it's Russell Crowe's movie. It's his vehicle. And he makes this movie worth watching. If you decide to go see it in theaters, um, you know, ultimately, I think you're going to see that, that Russell Crowe's performance. And, you know, on a secondary scale, Alex Esso's performance as well, which I was kind of floored by. I thought she did a really, really good job. Henry's performance isn't bad, except it does get kind of hammy towards the end. Um, kind of the way that um, in Exorcism of Emily Rose, Jennifer Carpenter's performance started to get like really uh, almost cringy at times. I know some people are going to think I'm blasphemous for saying that. I do love that movie, by the way, but it, it's kind of another detriment of the Exorcism movie that after a while, the possessed person writhing around their bed and you know, spitting out obscenities and blah, blah, blah. It just gets kind of old and, you know, to the point where you just kind of want to get through it. But ultimately, it's a quick movie. I don't think it was all that long, right? Hour 40, hour 43. So not terrible as far as length goes. But uh, yeah, overall, above average, I'd say. Nothing that'll break the mold or, you know, re reinvent the wheel, but still a fun film. Check it out. Yep, I agree with all that. Like, there was, you know, you, there were things that you probably uh, went over or skipped by, but you people would get the gist. I, I, I think you pretty much put it, what needs to be said out there. And mm -hmm. uh, that goes for, you know, our thoughts on the movie as well. I, I, it's really a, a, a movie for the lovers of the subgenre. Beyond that, it'll probably get mixed reaction just uh based on your own personal enjoyment of the genre itself i don't think this is the type of movie that's gonna like sway people to or away from this subgenre right it's just kind of like another one exactly yeah it, it, it's got enough quality to it that i think most people will look on it positively um like i said i've seen a thousand exorcism movies in my life so it's really hard for an exorcism movie to quote unquote impress me anymore. But I still, you know, I had high hopes and it wasn't the most disappointing thing I've ever seen. Just like I said, really, really tropey. If you're okay with tropes, that's the thing. A lot of people are okay with tropes. If you're okay with it, hell, you might like the movie twice as much as I did. And I hope so. I genuinely do. Because like I said, it's still worth seeing. I mildly recommend it. Agreed. Um, all right. Well, that's going to, well, Don, do you have something before we uh, wrap it up? Mm, uh, I'm trying to think, but I think you guys have covered everything. Um, one last look over my notes. Uh, yeah, it looks like you guys said everything I was going to say. So. All right. Well, in that case, that's going to wrap up our thoughts on The Pope's Exorcist and this episode of Fresh Cuts. But before we get out of here, let's find out what else we have for people to listen to. So, Venom, take it away. Before we do that, though, let me go ahead and give you my two-minute oh, yeah, review right. <laughs> of the far superior demonic possession movie that came out this weekend called Nefarious. 
Uh, Nefarious stars Sean Patrick Flannery as uh, Mark Wayne Brady. Yeah, I know. Uh, I chuckled when I first heard the name, too, because Wayne Brady is like the squeakiest act, the squeaky cleanest actor out there. And here's this guy called, uh, uh, I forget what, it, uh, something Wayne Brady, and he's a fucking serial killer. Anyway. Um, if you've seen the trailer, uh, which many of you may not have seen, uh, this movie is solidly not a horror movie. It is not a horror movie. Don't get confused. 80 to 90% of this movie is just two guys talking in a room. And I'm not exaggerating here. That is literally 80 to 90% of the film. It's just, um, it's basically a psychiatrist talking to this, um, to this guy, uh, Wayne Brady, who is, uh, he's basically about to be executed. He's going to be executed that night. And this psychiatrist has, um, has one day to basically try to save this guy's life. Now, if the psychiatrist deems this guy insane, he will not get the chair because they don't, you know, most states don't kill uh, people with mental issues, uh, you know, who think, you know, that are insane, who are deemed insane by a clinical psychiatrist. So, this base, this movie is basically that whole time before the execution. Um, and basically what this character says to the psychiatrist is, I am a demon. And I've been on this earth for thousands of years. I've possessed many people over the years, blah, blah, blah. But it is finally time for us to have our day where we will take over and Everything that the Pope's exorcist did wrong, this movie did right, in the sense that it's not a trope-filled horror movie. It is literally a character study of not just the killer, but also of the psychiatrist. Um, I know that movie, I, I know that description doesn't sound like it's going to resonate with a lot of people, and it probably won't. But I fucking loved this movie. I adored it because of these performances. Our two main guys, the conversation that they have, the explanation that the demon and Nefarious is actually the name of the demon. I think his name in Latin was uh, Nefariama, but in English it translates to Nefarious. So literally the name of this demon is Nefarious. And he goes over his plan and he talks about why you know, he's he he doesn't just talk about the demons taking over and killing all of humanity. He gives an explanation as to why they are doing it. And it's almost a viable explanation. Like when you hear it, you're like, hmm, maybe we all we do all deserve to die and just give the world up to the demons, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the movie ends up uh, culminating in uh, the execution scene. Does it happen? Does it not happen? You're going to have to watch the movie to find out. But ultimately, I loved this movie. It, it's it's and it, I mean, it's a slow burn of all slow burns. It, like I said, it, it is literally a 90 minute film. 80 to 90 percent of it is just two guys talking in a room. But the conversation is so fucking compelling. I was riveted the entire time, like from beginning to end. And there's very little weight. Literally, the movie opens in the prison with the psychiatrist coming in and, you know, starting to talk to this guy. And fuck, I absolutely love Sean Patrick. Uh, Sean Patrick Flannery is now a favorite actor of mine after this performance. I absolutely adored this. So if you're into slower paced, more psychological thriller style demonic possession movies, 
I would highly recommend this one. I thought this one did something very different. There's no exorcism scene. There's no attempt to get the demon out. Um, obviously, there's the standard skepticism, you know, coming from the psychiatrist, blah, blah, blah. The demon has to convince him that he is real. Does he do it? Again, you'll have to see the movie. But yeah, this one gets my highest recommend of the week. I saw five movies in theaters this weekend. This was head and shoulders the best movie I saw. I fucking loved it. So yeah, if you're lucky enough to get Nefarious in your town, I would say go see it in a theater. Not because of the visuals, because there basically are no visuals. There's no special effects, no nothing. It's just the tones of these guys' voices and just hearing it in that big booming sound system in the theater. I absolutely loved it. So, But even if you don't get it in the theater, check it out when it hits VOD. I fucking loved it. I, like I said, I can't in good conscience call it a horror movie because of the nature of the events in the movie, but god damn, was it fucking terrifying, compelling, heartwarming, just, wow, what a fucking great movie. So yeah, that's my mini review of Nefarious. Check it out if you get a chance. Yeah, may, maybe since it's like smaller and indie that it'll end up like on a Shutter or Screenbox or even Netflix like sooner oh, yeah. than later. I I genuinely hope so. I mean that that thing is so awesome. It's actually still playing here. It's on its second week of release, so that's that's kind of exciting. So yeah. I mean, you know, it's not going to be a huge movie. It's not going to make, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. It's not going to make anybody in the movie a star or a bigger star than they already were, but God damn, this was a good movie. I hope I'm not talking it up too much because I tend to do that with movies that I love after seeing them the first time. But yeah, I had a blast with this one. Just uh, I can't wait to watch it again. I may go to see it again in the theater. I, I just I had such a great time. Cool. All right. Well, with that, I'll keep it right there with you, Venom. Uh, what else do you got out for people to listen to? Oh, what do we got? Uh, we got Creature Comforts. Episode 16 is now available with Mr. Brandon Young from the Anatomy of Fear podcast. That, joining know, also us. is on YouTube now as well. Yes, yes. Also on our YouTube channel uh, where we talk about 1990s Tremors, one of Brandon's favorite creature features. So that was a great episode. I had forgot to mention last week that I did do an episode of It's Not Horror Okay, a show that I used to be a host on, but... Because of scheduling conflicts, I had to step away from. Uh, this is the second time I've been back with them. Uh, this time we took a look at Re uh, Revenge of the Ninja, the second of the Shokasugi American Ninja films, the canon films, of course, which were Enter the Ninja, Re uh, Return of the Ninja, and uh, Ninja 3, The Domination, which is a weird fucking movie to begin with. But, you know, that's a story for another show. Um, that episode isn't their new, their latest episode. I think it's like two episodes back, but like I said, I forgot to mention it. So if you're interested in checking that out, go ahead. It is available. Um, let's see. I will be on the Joe Blow Horror Show summer series, uh, looking at one of the Resident Evil films. They're doing the Resident Evil franchise this year. So that, that episode records at the end of this month, but probably won't be released till like June or July sometime. So I'll keep everyone informed on that one. Um, and then that's pretty much it. The main show, uh, No More Room in Hell, episode 52, should get recorded this week. The plan is for this weekend. We're going to get together and record that. And our friend Don is actually going to be um, a guest with us on that one. So we're going to have like the whole No No More Room in Hell family together on one show. So that ought to be fun. 
And that's it for me, Mike. All right, cool. Uh, Don, do you have anything new since our last recording? Uh, well, uh, not since the last recording, but um, briefly we'll run through everything again uh, in case you missed it. So, uh, yeah, uh, Creature Comforts, once again, is uh, available. That was a blast and a real lot of fun. Uh, I do have uh, the latest two episodes of Horror Countdown. Uh, the first one is uh, Top Ten Killers and uh, Human Villains. And the second episode is uh, Scariest Subgenres. So uh, looking at why the subgenre in particular is scary rather than the films themselves. It's uh, more like if you were trapped in that particular, if you were trapped in a film that revolved around that particular subgenre, how scared would you be if that played out for you? That was kind of uh, the approach we took with that. So it was a lot of fun and a really interesting conversation that uh, one of my favorites so far. So I really hope you you check both of them out. But if you can only do one, I, I definitely suggest that one. And two guest spots that are um, recorded but not released yet. Uh, I have no clue when they're going to be released, but uh, so far I have uh, recordings with uh, the podcast Stew World Order, where I looked at the action film Red 2, and then uh, Road to Nowhere, which is a triple bill of Lucio Fulci films. So uh, both of those are recorded, and... uh, they they should be available soon. I, I don't know. Um, first, I've worked with these guys, and I don't know releasing patterns. So uh, basically, I'll just you know keep mentioning them until uh, they come out. And then, uh, as mentioned, Venom uh, just mentioned a few seconds ago. Yes, I will be getting the call up to the majors for uh, the third time. Uh, I've joined them a couple of episodes. And uh, this one's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, we'll leave it uh, for that until uh, recording time because, uh, you know, plans change and all that. But uh, it's going to be a fun time, and I'm really looking forward to uh, discussing this particular topic with the guys. So, yeah, uh, that should be all for me. Um, Yeah, I don't think there's uh, anything else that's come up since then. All right, cool. Uh, as far as I go, Venom pretty much already mentioned everything, so uh, follow his instructions on where to listen to everything and where it's all at. And yeah, No More Room in Hell 52 should be recording the same week. And as far as our next episode, it should be no surprise. I think we even mentioned it in the last episode or two that our the few episodes are planned out, and this would be the third of that uh the third episode of that is uh evil dead which uh hits officially friday of of course there's usually showings thursday but yeah that will be our next episode recording um sometime between now and probably monday just depending on when we all have it free but yeah that's the next big one that's uh coming out so um highly anticipated and uh obviously it comes with a legacy of an existing franchise a remake a tv show uh merchandise (laughs) a lot attached to this uh movie so um yeah we'll we'll see how it how it goes Uh, i'm i'm looking forward to it regardless you know you never actually know how it's gonna 
be until you see it, but some movies you can't help but at least, you know, the anticipation level is a little higher. So we will see when that's coming out. So um, until then, thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Fresh Cuts. We will catch you in a week's time. Let's say bye to our listeners. Later. Never have sex with innocent townswomen. <laughs> Cast Russell Crowe in more genre stuff. He sh- that's where he seems to be shining. <laughs> Peace.